Welcome to Widowed But Not Alone with Todd Bessie of Credom Wealth Partners, the podcast designed to help people who have lost a partner and those people who support them. We will share stories and resources that will help support your needs, address your financial concerns, and guide you to believe in your future. Now, on to the show. After the loss of a spouse, it's really important for a widow to build a group a supportive group of people to provide sound, objective advice. These are individuals that can provide their technical expertise and contribute to the financial planning process as a widow starts to reevaluate their financial future. This group is often called the widow's inner circle of professional advisors. The key members of the team are the financial planner, a banker, an insurance specialist, an attorney, and a certified public accountant. The CPA is the tax advisor that can add tremendous value when engaged in this process. Today, we're going to talk about some tax planning topics that frequently come up after the loss of a spouse. My guest for this conversation is Kelly Swisher of Eater Cassellin Company. Kelly is a CPA and senior manager of accounting and tax services, and she's been with her firm since 2008. She works with individuals and business clients to help them solve their own unique accounting challenges. Kelly, welcome to the Widowed But Not Alone podcast. Thanks, Todd. It's great to be with you uh, today. Um, Thanks for inviting me to speak. It's an important topic, and I feel like it doesn't get specifically addressed in many cases. So thanks for putting this together. Yeah, well, welcome. So so Kelly, you and your team just survived another tax season. Have you had a chance to, to take a breath yet? Uh, we're almost there. You know, we're we're trying to still catch up. I feel like it's been a, a couple of weeks now. Um, but this tax season, it actually felt really nice to have a normal tax season. So the deadline actually falled within a, a few days of April 15th. So um looking forward to, like you said, catching up and catching up with clients now and start doing some planning for, for 2022. Yeah, it seems like it never stops stops for you guys in the accounting profession. You know, you get from one deadline to the next. So it's, it's nice to see a smile on your face, you know, today. So, uh, so thanks for joining me. You know, one of the things that, that I think is tough for, for people who lose their spouse is, um, you know, getting into that first year of, of dealing with taxes. Right. And it always causes some concerns for people. So, you know, when you're, when you're engaged in that process, what, what starts to come up? How do you deal with that first conversation with a widow who has questions about doing that first tax return? Sure. Well, like you had said, it's important to have that advisory team um, and you know a CPA being a part of that team. But the first thing is really kind of working with your attorney and determining what kind of uh, filings are required. So there could be an estate or um, as such uh, a will, something that would need to be determined there. Um, I don't think we are going to go into that in this uh, podcast, but just things to kind of think about um, and your attorney can help you with. Um, so I know, you know, taxes are very daunting for, for most people, um, let alone a, a spouse um, who just lost their significant other. Um, So we try to help as much as we can in that process by if it's a 
client that we've had in prior years, we try to help them go back and determine what information we are going to need to to prepare their tax return for the current year. Um, And we do that by um, looking at the documents that they provided us in a previous year. So we're able to give them account numbers, names and numbers of their advisors if they're not aware of them. Anything from, you know, if they have a mortgage statement, we we can kind of help them determine the best way to get it for the cur- current year. Just, yeah, some ways um, by looking in the past that we can kind of help them move forward. One of the, the important things to for them to consider is their filing status for the for the year. When when the spouse dies, um, obviously in previous years they would be filing as a married filing joint couple. But moving forward, how how does that affect? How does your spouse passing affect that filing status? Um, so obviously that's something that your CPA can help you with, and and it's important to to determine this filing tax um, status um, for a few different reasons. It will determine whether you're actually required to file a tax return or not. Um, You know, there's different thresholds within each filing status that um, are taken into consideration. The next thing would be the standard deduction that changes with each filing status. Um, Obviously, the tax that you will pay is based on your filing status. So there's different tax brackets and different thresholds within within each tax bracket that that filing status will change on. Um, And then the last thing is really, it'll determine whether you're eligible for certain credits and deductions. And that's kind of all determined by your CPA as they're going through your, your tax return. So in that first year, like like I had mentioned, um, in the year that that the spouse passed, you're still considered married for that whole year. So your filing status for that first year will still be married filing jointly. Now moving forward, it depends on if you have dependents or not. So if if you have dependents um, and you will be claiming them on your return as a dependent, you'll be qual- you'll be eligible for this qualifying widower. It's, it's that's a filing status with the IRS. So in that case, you'll be you have two years to file as a qualifying widower. So for example, if your spouse passed in 2020 and you haven't remarried, um, you're able to qualify for this status for 2021 and 2022. Um, it's a, this status is just a benefit. So it um, entitles you to use the, the joint return tax rates and the highest standard deduction amounts. Now, if so after the, the two years of filing as the, the qualifying widower, you still have your dependents that you'll be claiming, you can move forward filing as the head of household, which has increased tax rates and a higher standard deduction than if you were to file just as single. And then Kelly, Kelly, excuse me for how, so how long with the head of household, you know, when you file that way, just to give some guidance on that, when does that typically transition? So you would transition from that to single once your dependents are no longer a dependent on your tax return. So if you have children, once they, if they decide to go to college, you could still claim them while in college, but then after they graduate, um, you would no longer claim them as your dependent. If they don't go to college, then, you know, it it would be after, after 18. And then if, 
if the spouse doesn't have a dependent um, after that first year of filing as married, filing joint, they would move forward just filing as a single taxpayer on their tax return. Got it. Okay. You know, just a couple other things I think that'd be, be interesting to talk about today. Some issues that we see that come up when we are working with someone that's lost their spouse. Wanted to talk to you maybe a little bit about uh, retirement accounts. So, you know, specifically IRAs and some of the things that come up after the death of a spouse. So what, what can you, can you talk a little bit about the concept of required minimum distributions, you know, after the passing of a spouse when, when we're dealing with an IRA? Sure. Well, first of all, a, a required minimum distribution, it's, it's really just the minimum amount um, that a retirement plan account owner must withdraw annually. So starting in the year in which they reach 72. Um, now, this, this used to be 70 and a half, but with some recent tax law changes, this um, increased to 72. So these rules apply to all employer-sponsored um, retirement plans. And if they're not followed, there's a pretty stiff um, tax penalty. It's actually the amounts that aren't withdrawn for the RMD are actually taxed at 50%. So it's it's pretty significant. And you know, one of the things that is um, important to follow up on, you know, after a passing. So one of the things that we normally would look at is if the spouse who had passed had reached 72, so they're in the time period where they're required to take these distributions, um, you know, say they passed at the beginning of the year and they hadn't had a chance to take their distribution yet. So the, the surviving spouse would actually have to go back and make sure that they, they take that distribution for that current year to not be subject to these 50% penalties. Um, so that's something that, you know, we'll look at, um, or someone like you will probably guide them in that direction to make sure that they're taking those on time. You know, there there is a way for that penalty to be waived, and you could work with your CPA um, to see if you would qualify for that. But, you know, it's just additional steps to, to have to go through. Um, so it's, it's really more of a benefit to, to make sure to take that within that current year. Yeah, that 50% penalty sounds like a pretty big number, right? And, uh, you know, unfortunately, when someone passes and, and the, the surviving spouse is trying to gather the information and figure out where they stand, sometimes time passes and you get from one year to the next and that required minimum distribution just didn't happen. And we've seen that. So like you said, you know, that that's a, a penalty that would be hard to swallow, but often what we found, and, and I would, hopefully you would agree, is, is that if you just go ahead and take the distribution, let the IRS know you missed it, but you took it uh, in the following year, normally they're, they're not going to come after you, right? If you do file the waiver, um, it, it should come back you know, as being a reasonable qualification for that. Yeah. So since we're talking about IRAs, what if when when a surviving spouse is starting to to address these issues, and um, you know the the deceased spouse may have had their own IRA, or let's say they had a you know a four hundred one k plan through their employer or other types of employer plans like four hundred three b or or four fifty seven, ownership of those accounts have to transition at some point, right? From from the deceased spouse to the current spouse, and right. often there's there's two kind of main uh, processes that a surviving spouse could follow, right? And one of them is a 
a spousal rollover and the other one's an inherited IRA. Can you talk about those for a second and then kind of the difference between the two and why uh, a surviving spouse might choose to do one versus the other? Sure. So, so the spousal rollover, which is um, the first thing that, that I'm going to talk about, it's some kind, sometimes called a fresh start IRA. So this is where the surviving spouse would uh, use this even when there's other primary beneficiaries. So, you know, sometimes there's the spouse who's a beneficiary, but there's also maybe the children named as the beneficiary. Um, this, this option can be used even if the, the kids are other beneficiaries. Um, so once the spouse IRA is created, it is treated as though it was always the surviving spouse's IRA. Um, it, it literally, it takes the name of the surviving spouse and the, survi- the surviving spouse would also have to name new beneficiaries. As we talked about before, the, these required minimum distributions, this calculation would change now to the surviving spouse. So the there would be a schedule that is determined based on the surviving spouse's age. Um, one thing to note about this is once it's executed, it's irrevocable. So you can't go back and undo it. So one thing you'll have to, to think about when determining if you want to do this rollover is, so if you're over age 59 and a half, you're able to follow your own rules in, in the IRA. You aren't sub, you would not be subject to a 10% penalty, which, um, you know, 59 and a half and under, if you withdrew a, uh, an amount from the IRA, you would be subject to a 10% penalty. So if you're over that 59 and a half, um, you, you wouldn't have to really worry about that anymore. Um, one thing, another thing to consider is if, if, you need the cash flow. So it, this might, if you're under 59 and a half and you need the cash flow from this IRA, um, the, the spousal rollover might not be the best thing for you only because if you were to withdraw amounts from this IRA now, it would be subject to this 10% penalty. So, so if you, if you then think about the other option, right, when you're transitioning a, uh, a deceased spouse IRA, the other option we talked about is the inherited IRA, right? So if that often is considered for somebody that's younger than 59 and a half, right? Because they can access that account without the penalty you were just talking about, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the the other option would be, like you said, this this inherited IRA. Um, so really, the the legal title of the IRA would be changed um, to reflect that it is an uh, inherited IRA, um, and it's held for the benefit of the surviving spouse. Um, so there's a couple of kind of rules within this inherited IRA. So if the d- deceased spouse had reached the 72, so the age of the required minimum distributions, and they've already began taking their RMDs, the surviving spouse would have to continue um, the RMDs. So their first first withdrawal would be um, required by December 31st of the year following the deceased spouse. Now, if the spouse had not reached 72 um, when they had passed, the RMDs aren't required until that deceased spouse would have turned 72. 
So there's a couple options here. You can choose to either use the surviving spouse life expectancy, or you can take the RMDs based on um, the age of the, the deceased spouse. Yeah, and it seems like you know earlier you mentioned that the that age for required minimum distributions changed a couple of years ago, right? From age seventy and a half to seventy two, right. and it always seems like taxes are a moving target, right? So one of the proposals that's out there, and we don't know if it'll happen or not, is to further extend that age for required minimum distributions out to like even age seventy five a few years down the road. Right. So, you know, the challenge for, for anybody here is um, on, a, on an annual basis is consulting with your planner and your, your tax advisor to make sure you understand what the tax laws are at that time and how they apply to you. Now, I, talking about taxes and IRAs, one other quick, quick point I wanted to make and, and get your feedback on this is, you know, for people who hadn't taken IRA distributions in the past or they're hitting that requirement distribution age and they're taking distributions now. There's obviously the ability to do tax withholding on those IRA distributions. And often we get the question of, well, well Todd, how much should I withhold in, in taxes from my IRA? So can you talk about that a little bit? You know, how you would advise a, a client with regards to how to do the tax withholding? Sure. You know, it's very specific to taxpayers and their situations. And one of the things that we take into consideration is if they have withholding from other accounts. For example, you can have withhold, withholding taken on your social security if you'd like. Um, so if, if a client does that, then and it's enough to cover what their tax would be for the current year, then they wouldn't need to um, take any withholding from, from their IRAs. But it, it's all based on their other withholding. And if they don't have any other withholding from other sources. So if they don't have a W-2, they don't have withholding or um, sometimes people will pay what, what's called estimated taxes. If they have a business, that's usually what um, the route that they will go. Um, and all that is, is they pay in quarterly um, amounts of pretty much just withholding. But if there's no other withholding throughout the year, then we would kind of work with um, the taxpayer and come up with a projection for for the year. A lot of times, you know, required minimum distributions are pretty consistent. So we're able to determine if that's their only source of income um, and nothing else is changing, we should be pretty get to a pretty good number as far as what their withholding should be on on that amount um, and communicate with them. And then that would be they could just go to their their account holder and discuss that and and really just request that it be withheld from from their retirement payments. Yeah, so that's something I think, you know, we we tend to you know, when we're working as a team, right, financial advisors with tax advisors to for the benefit of our client is is make sure we're on the same page every year and and work with each other to determine what the best withholding percentage is for a client on IRAs. Um, so let's jump into a couple other other things. Uh, another issue that comes up with regards to taxable investment accounts, so non-retirement accounts, is um, when someone passes, there are if there are investments that have performed well over time, you have what are called unrealized capital gains. And uh, when a spouse passes, there's this concept called step up in basis. Can you take a minute 
to talk about that and uh, and explain what step up and basis means and how that works with a with a married couple. Sure. So, like you had said, to explain it a little bit, when somebody purchases a security, for example, you purchase it for hundred dollars. Let, let's just say that's your cost basis, and if now, you know, let's just say it's five years later that security is valued at $200. There's that, that gain that there's a hundred dollar gain there that, that would be considered, um, you know, that, that capital unrealized gain. It's, it's not taxed to you yet because you haven't sold it, but it's out there say in your brokerage account. So a step up in basis really is taking that, gain, that $100 gain, um, and creating your new basis. So when a spouse passes, you're able to, if, if the asset is held in their name, the, there's a step up. So it goes from $100 from their original basis of $100 to now being stepped up to that $200, which um, is the value at the, the date of their passing. Um, so that security then would have a basis of $200. So there's there's some pretty specific rules on this and really, you know, if you live in a different state, there's there's even more rules. So it is pretty important to work with your advisors on knowing what your securities are, whose name they're held in, and again, obviously the the state that you live in is also going to kind of determine which assets can be stepped up in basis. Yeah, this is kind of a critical issue, right? So as as a, a widow's looking ahead and, and trying to understand their assets that can provide cash flow for them and how things might get taxed, the step up in basis is really important to understand so that it can potentially allow you to reposition assets in a portfolio if you need to create more income and understand that you may not pay as much in taxes on selling some of those investments, which you hate to say it is unfortunately one benefit of, you know, if you lost a spouse, that's not a, not a great situation, but from a tax perspective that there is a benefit that comes with that in, in uh, eliminating some capital gains. So one other thing I wanted to just ask you about is, you know, talking about capital gains, Kelly is a personal residence. So if someone owns a home and let's say they've, they've lived there for a long time and it's a, a home that let's say maybe they purchased for $250,000. And, you know, 30 years down the road, they lived in this house. And now, you know, certainly today with the housing market taking off, maybe that house is worth $750,000. So there's a half a million dollar capital gain. If that surviving spouse decides, you know, whether it's short order or a year or so down the road that they're they're looking to move out of the house that they lived in as a couple and and maybe start over and, and live somewhere else, from a tax standpoint, what happens with that capital gain and, and what are some things to think about? So th- for tax purposes, there's what's called a homeowner's exclusion. And um, so there's there's two ways to kind of look at it. There's the exclusion um, if you're married, finally joint, which like you had said, um, there's an exclusion of up to a half a million dollars. And um, if you're a single 
tax filing taxpayer, the exclusion is only two hundred and fifty thousand. So there's there's a couple things to think about here, and um, something specific to a widow, a widowed um, taxpayer. But just to get a general idea of this exclusion before discussing the widow amount, um, there's a couple eligibility items. So. In order to qualify for this, there's um, it's called the ownership requirement. So you must have owned the home for at least two out of the last five years leading up to the date of the sale of, of the residence. The next thing would be the residence requirement. So you owned your home and you have to have used it as your residence, your primary residence, for at least two out of the previous five years. Now, these two years, they don't have to fall um, consecutively, um, but it just has to be within that five-year time period. And then the third thing to consider is um, you can't have taken this exclusion any time in the previous two years. So it's only every two years that you can take this. So for a widow taxpayer, um, there are some specific rules like I had mentioned. So if the widowed taxpayer doesn't specifically meet this two-year ownership um, and residence re residence requirements, and they haven't remarried at the time of the sale, then they may include any time when their late spouse owned and lived in the home, even, even if the surviving spouse didn't live there during that time, in order to meet these ownership and residence requirements. Um, and then, so also you're able to increase the exclusion amount from 250 to 500,000 um, for this widowed taxpayer. But there's additional requirements for this, of course. So you must sell your home within two years of the death of the spouse, can't remarry by the time the home is sold. Neither you nor your late spouse took the exclusion on another home sold than less than two years ago. So same general rule as any other taxpayer. Um, and then, as we mentioned before, you still need to meet this two-year ownership and residency requirements. Got it. So it seems like, you know, there's a few moving parts that that go along with thinking about selling the house after uh, after a spouse passes away. Um, and again, great reason to talk to your advisors to make sure that you're making the right decisions. Um, so Kelly, it's been it's been awesome talking today, and I know we've only touched on a few uh, areas that can help widows make good decisions when it comes to tax planning. You know, what are a couple other you know topics that maybe would be important to consider as we look ahead? Sure. Things like social security um, and, you know, how to file that, you know, even, even if you're not of, of social security age, you would still qualify for spousal benefits. And if you have dependents, you know, there would be additional benefits that you would qualify for. So um, that's another big area I think um, maybe gets overlooked sometimes if you're under the retirement age. You know, just understanding the taxation of different items such as interest, dividends, capital gains, and annuities and how that, that affects your tax standpoint. Um, and then finally, maybe investment properties, if there's rentals that that the couple had owned, you know, how that is is treated after after the death and even just moving forward with those. You know, I think in the short time we've talked today, right, we got 
a little deep on a few topics. Some of the things you just mentioned, I think are areas that are really important for uh, a widow to learn about. So Kelly, would you be willing to come back maybe and spend a little bit more time with me and, and get a little bit deeper into some of these other issues for our widow listeners? Sure. Definitely. Yes. If it, if it helps others, that would be great. Awesome. So if our listeners wanted to reach out to you and, and had some questions, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, Kelly? Sure. Um, you could go to our website. So um, it's edercasella.com. It's E-D-E-R-C-A-S-E-L-L-A. And on there, there's a, a link or a tab. It's who we are. And then there's a another link for a team. And so you'll find all my information, my bio there. So my phone number and my email um, are all directly there. Great. Well, well, hopefully people will reach out to you if, any, if they have any questions. Um, so Kelly, thanks again for participating today. Uh, thank you for listening to the Widowed But Not Alone podcast. I'm Todd Bessie with Creedom Wealth Partners. Please consider subscribing to our podcast so that you can receive updates about our upcoming episodes and share it with friends and family that might benefit from listening as well. If you have any questions about the topics we covered in today's conversation and would like to contact me or my team, you can find us at creedomwealth.com. That's C-R-E-I-D-I-M wealth.com. Thanks. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to Widowed But Not Alone. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Integrated Wealth Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, doing business as Credom Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor.